for you guys to be seated and give somebody a handshake or a hug and say glad to see you. Good to be here. All right, let's get going. Shall we together proceed? You look amazing. You look great. Um, to be honest, I, I am so excited about this night. Like, I, I don't know. Like, there's... Okay, Check this out. Like sometimes in a worship gathering, you can't go off feeling. You, get, you guys get me? Like you can't just say, oh, oh, that felt nice. Like I got goosebumps. There, there's, like there must be something happening, right? Like you can't, you can't all the time go off that. But friends, like my sense is, and I don't know if yours is the same, that like there is something happening already in here tonight. I mean, I'm excited because like there, there's some nights where, you know, like he's here and whatever, but there's some nights where he's, here. And that's why we even sing that lyric, like, meet us in this place, right? Like he's, we want more of him to come. I was blessed as a young child to have parents who taught me how to pray. Uh, did you guys, you guys remember like the, the meal time? Everyone holds hands, right? And dad would say the prayer. And so as a young kid, I, I like learned the rhetoric because there is a rhetoric, isn't there? You, you, you learn the language really quick. It's like, dear God, thank you for the mashed potatoes. Mom made them so lovely tonight, added the appropriate amount of milk. God, thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for family, and thank you for jobs so we could have this food on the table. Amen, right? That was, it's something along those lines. And so as a young kid, you're like trying to repeat the rhetoric that you keep hearing. And so everything that you hear is like coming out, and you start to sound like your dad or your mom. Have any of you ever been there before? That was me. So like we get together and we'd be praying for someone's need and I'd be like, dear God, thank you for the mashed potatoes today. And you know, we're praying for this person's sickness, you know, and I'd be like, God, thank you so much for the beautiful day. And then on the end, I'd tack, oh, and by the way, uh, we just want to pray over, what's your name again? You know what I mean? Like we just want to pray over Billy Bob here and, and help him with his sickness. I was blessed though to have parents who taught me something about prayer. My grandfather, when I was 12, taught me what it meant to fear and be revering or reverent in prayer. I've told you guys many times about my grandfather. He was a stud. I loved him. My grandfather next to his bed wore out grooves in the carpet. In fact, they had to replace the carpet every so many years because my, my grandfather had worn out knee grooves next to his bed because for my grandfather to pray was to mean to be prostrate before the Heavenly Father. And he would spend hours upon hours in his room praying. And when he came out, like you knew something was happening there. When I was 18 and went to college for the first time, I learned a whole new thing about prayer. I learned that, that sometimes like God just didn't answer you immediately. We prayed for a year that I got there that God would do something amazing with the campus ministries. And we, we had to pray that for a year persistently for something to happen. So in college, I learned about like persistent, patient prayer. And then I learned a whole new thing about prayer when Heidi and I went to Brazil. And have you guys ever heard of Brazil? Just north of Canada, big country. And... Um, <laughs> Funk geography, don't worry about it. We, um, we went to Brazil on a mission trip, Rio de Janeiro. That's the right city, right, Heidi? Rio. And um, we went on a, I, I was preaching some, and, and what we were doing is we would take bags 
up the, one of the most poverty hills in the entire world, bags of clothes, and we would just spread them out to all the kids and the families who were living in wooden shacks. Uh, literally one of the most populated poverty hills in the entire world, sewage running down the mountain everywhere. And so it, during the day we would take these bags of clothes up and, and, and at night we would worship, but in the morning, listen to this, in the morning our group would spend two to three hours, there, there would be two to three hours of scheduled prayer time. And so the first day, like after 20 minutes, I'm thinking about so many other things. Because if you're American culturized at all, you see on the schedule three hours prayer and word time. And you're like, oh, like what is, you know, like what is happening here? Like can we throw a breakfast in there and like some TV time and like some, hang- like what, what is this? So the first day I look around the group and after 20 minutes everyone's like, woohoo, you know what I mean? Like pretty bird, you know, we're all just completely just completely distracted by anything that was happening around. And what started to happen? And guys, like, I wish, I wish you could be there right now with me because in my heart I'm there. What started to happen is two hours wasn't enough. And three hours wasn't enough. And so what would happen was we would wake up and no one would eat. And we would just go pray together. And we would all be praying out loud together and we would all be praying for the same things and the same purposes and and we would have to go and take the clothes up and so while we were taking the clothes up we would be praying and then when we come home we'd be praying and no one could get enough of praying why because prayer intimately connects you with the father and it's so interesting to me that despite its intimate connection with the father that we struggle with it so much it's like here I am in Brazil, literally breaking every day. I mean, Heidi and I would just we would just come back day after day after day, and just our hearts would be so broken over what was happening. And then we come back home, and so quickly we're back in the routine. I have 15 minutes of prayer, and we're back to the Christian rhetoric. Dear God, thank you for the day. Please help me today. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. And we're on our we're on our way. Friends, tonight we're going to tackle a question. Why is it that the American church cannot pray? What is it about this room right now that if we were to go around and just do a one to five scale on how's your prayer life, that there may be four, five, six people in here that's above a three or four? Why is it that we don't crave intimacy with the Father? Anybody? Tonight, I feel like through the Word that we're going to get to some answers that finally are outside of practicality. You know what I'm saying? That finally are outside of, okay, here's the answer. A plus B equals C. You just need to have 30 minutes set aside in your day for prayer. It's all about discipline. It's all about discipline. How many times have you heard that in your dome? Just set aside 30 minutes and pray. If it's just about discipline, what we're going to see tonight is it will fail every single time because discipline alone does not cut it. Luke chapter 11. You guys with me? Let's go. You guys excited? Yes. I feel the fervorness-ism-ish. That works, doesn't it? The last two weeks we've been looking at the journey of what it means to be a disciple. Last week we saw the difference between Mary and Martha and what it means to serve and to sit at the foot of Jesus. And tonight we pick up in Luke chapter 11 verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And this is nothing new, is it? Uh, Luke chapter 3. You remember where was he at? Baptism. Praying. Jesus praying. 
Luke chapter 6, before he chooses the 12 disciples, guess what he was doing? Anyone? Praying. Thank you, biblical scholars. Luke 9, right before the transfiguration, anyone want to take a guess at what the king of the universe, Josh, back there in the back, praying, donated, right? So Jesus, like all throughout Luke so far, is praying. And have you noticed that it's normally around big circumstances? Baptism, choosing the disciples, transfiguration, all major events. Well, now scripture says that he's just in a certain place. There's no major event. And guess what Jesus is doing? He's praying, which already causes us to stir a little bit and say this. If the Savior of the universe thinks it's important to spend time in communion with Father God praying, then what does that have to imply for you and I? If Christ needs time praying, and not just time, but significant amount of time praying, then what, my friends, does that imply for me and you? Not the Savior of the universe. Unless some of you in here have some type of Savior complex that needs to be completely repented of, you know? Yeah. So he's in a certain place, and he's praying. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. The disciples unmade who asked him the question, but he says, teach us to pray just like John. This is John the Baptist. You remember the Pharisees, uh, during some Sabbath and some other wars, the Pharisees went out and asked Jesus, like, why don't your disciples pray like John and his disciples? So apparently John the Baptist, though beheaded right now, had some type of great prayer life. But, but listen to this. Doesn't it seem interesting that the disciples ask how to pray? Let me explain why. The disciples are what? They're Jews by nationality, by culture, by religion. All right? If you are a Jew, and there's no debate whether the 12 disciples are Jews or not. Everyone is cohesive on that. The, Jew, the, the disciples are Jews. And as a Jew, you have a very certain ritualistic and sometimes very powerful prayer life. In fact, the Berakat Hamazon is the three prayers a day that you say directly after mealtimes, morning, midday, and evening. Need some affirmation of that. Any of you guys remember Daniel in the lion's den? Yeah. None of you. Okay. We need to read our Bibles more. Maybe we should switch this teaching, all right? Look, just give me Daniel in the lion's den up here. Let's do it. It's a great story. How many times did Daniel pray every day? Three times. A day, it's not rocket science, that's what a Jew would do. Daniel was a Jew, and you pray three times a day, plus all of the festivals, plus the Shabbat or the Sabbath. Shabbat, Shalom, remember that? Yeah, yeah. All these festivals, you pray. A good Jew, listen to this, a good Jew knows how to pray. You do. You simply know how to pray. Like Christians, you know the rhetoric. You know what to say. In fact, they even have Jewish books with prayers in it that you read. And so when you say it, there's some type of power image that comes when you say these Jewish prayers. A good Jew knows how to pray. So why are the disciples, and this has been a major oversight of the story, why are the disciples asking how to pray? I'll tell you this, that they're not asking about the concept of prayer. They're not coming to Jesus like I did as a small child to my father. Teach me the concept of prayer. No, 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 no. that's not happening here. And friends, this is the beautiful part of the story. The disciples, a good Jew, knowing completely how to pray, come to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray. Why? Because when Jesus prays, something happens. You with me? When they see Jesus pray, there's a communion 
that he has with the Father that cannot be replaced. And so when they see Jesus pray, they're not saying, teach us the concept of prayer. They're saying, Jesus, teach us what it means to have communion with the Father like you have it. A good you know, knows how to pray. Are you guys with me? Like, teach me to pray like you do so that I too can share in this great, beautiful communion with the Holy Yahweh, Father God. Are you guys with me? It brings exclamation points all over the story. Because if you see in your scriptures, the red letters don't stop and start. In fact, they begin after this. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus is what? He's going to answer. Just like when someone said, what is the greatest commandment? You should plaster that on your forehead. Because if Jesus ever answers a question about the greatest or less anything, that should bring our binocular eyes right to the story and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's answering a pretty important question here. You guys with me? The greatest commandment, love God and love people. I should write that one down. In fact, I should start a church and make that the mission statement. Okay, we've done that. Perfect. So check, you know. Loving Him, loving His. So here, Jesus, listen to this. He's going to answer What does it mean to pray and have tremendous communion with the Father? You like that? Let's put up the prayer. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, Father, starting out. There are 65 mentions of the word Father in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's 100 in John. There's only 15 in the Old Testament. In fact, every time in the Old Testament that the word Father comes up, it has to do more with protection than it does anything else. So for Jesus to begin this prayer with Father, what does it bring focus to? It brings focus to intimacy. In fact, the Latin word here, the Aramaic, uh, the Aramaic word here is Abba, which is this like almost this daddy term. So in the Old Testament, we have 15 mentions of Father, and it has to do with protection. And now all of a sudden, through Christ, guess what we get to start out the prayer with? Father. You guys with me? It's like now through Christ... What was separated because of sin now is brought together. But but what's his first line? Father, hallowed be your name. So there's a sense of intimacy that comes with the Father. But then we have this terminology, hallowed be your name. So the prayer begins with your name is great. Your name is holy. Your name is worth worshiping. Your name is majestic. Remember when I taught about the holistic picture of God? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God in Genesis chapter 1-1 is Elohim, implying plurality, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we talked about this great chasm that we've created in the American church, that we have created a God in our own minds. For the traditionalists, it's Father God, it's fear. For the evangelical Christians, it's Jesus and relationship. And for the charismatics, it's the Holy Spirit. All of us overcompensating for the church across the street. When God is Father and God is Son and God is Spirit. So do you see the beauty here? In the first two lines of what's been known to call the Lord's Prayer, but really should be called the Disciples' Prayer, because Jesus is giving this to a model of disciples, and I'm pretty sure that when we get to forgive us our sins, that Jesus was sinless. Amen? So it really should be called the Disciples' Prayer. But here, in the first two lines, we have Father, intimacy, hallowed be your name, fear. How are you doing with the fear of the Lord, friends? How, how are you doing with remembering that He is not just a father figure, but that He is 
a Yahweh that the Hebrews wouldn't even say the name of because it held so much power. As I was doing the study on Jewish prayers, they put on their websites, the name of God is in this email, and so use this email appropriately. That's how important emphasis the name like Yahweh is. It's like, don't print this out, because if you do, like, when we approach God in prayer, there should be this balance of intimacy and fear. Are you with me? And that balance, friends, if we can get that into our domes, that every time we pray, it's not just like, hey, Jesus, mm. you know, like, I just want to lift up my sister now. I just want to come to you right now. You know, no, there's this, like, I, I despise the hats. Jesus is my homeboy. We've talked about this probably a little bit before. Despise those hats. What is that hat saying? If Jesus was my homeboy, I'll tell you this right now. That's not a God I want to serve. If he's my homeboy, like, are you kidding me? That's not a God I want to pray to. That's a God that's probably not going to hear my prayers. You see what I'm saying? He listens to music so loud that he can't even hear, right? That's not my God. My God says, come to me with this idea of intimacy through a relationship with Christ and come to me with fear and trembling and that's how you should communicate with me. Not just like I'm your homeboy and not just like I'm the God who punishes you, which is a mistake anyway. The God who has intimacy and the God who has relationship and the God who can command the seas to pull apart. That's the God when you pray to that you're praying to. Are you with me? So he goes on. Your kingdom come. <laughs> Don't you love when you study the scriptures verse by verse by verse? How many times have we talked about the kingdom now? Isn't it amazing now that we have some type of frame of reference that when Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, Your kingdom come, some of you who were there the nights when we've talked about the kingdom, your minds and your hearts should be like churning. Why? Because Jesus said that the kingdom of God here and now comes through Him. Remember, He says, Go and tell them that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, I'm coming, so tell them I'm coming and tell them the kingdom's coming with me. Hoo-yah! You know what I'm saying? That was just kind of fun to say. Moving on. Really? Okay. Your kingdom come. So he says, he says that the kingdom now is like a mustard seed compared to what the kingdom will be in its consummation, like a full-grown tree when the Father comes and redeems. You guys, yeah. So to pray the kingdom come means to pray that we get to experience and encounter more of the presence and glory and of the Father here and now that we get to worship and glorify, and God, give us more of your grace. Help us to experience more of you, of, of who you are. Your kingdom come, not just now, but when it is consummated in its totality, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. If you're a Jew and you're praying this prayer, what are you thinking about? You're probably thinking about Exodus chapter 16 or Deuteronomy chapter 8 where we see the Israelites being fed with manna from heaven. Wouldn't you have loved to be there? Of all the moments in the scripture that you would love to be there, there's about six or seven for me. One of them is seeing bread come down from the skies. You know what I mean? That had to be amazing. You walk out of your tent, you're like, it's raining bread. You know? Like, the, what is happening? You know, you're like, it's your basket, you're trying to catch them. Three points, you know? You kind of develop a scoring system with your friends. And each day... There's this idea of faith that you have to go out and see if God has provided more manna. And He would provide double the portion on the day before the Sabbath, so that on the Sabbath you didn't have to leave your tent. Give us today our daily bread. 
Lord, give us our very provision. Give us what we need and not necessarily what we want because sometimes those things are very far apart. Amen? God, give, God, be our provider. Provide for us. Give us provision. Give us our daily bread. Help us to... And, and, and guess what? He's done this already with the disciples. What did He say? I'm going to send you out and you're not going to be able to take your man purse. You're not going to be able to take your sandals. I don't want you to take an extra tunic. I just want you to go. And I'm going to provide for your every need. And you're going to learn what it means to be reliant and dependent on me. So go. And He goes. And they go. It's this idea of dependence. Are you, are you seeing this prayer so far? Forgive us our sins. We like this one. In fact, this is probably our favorite. Because we know that without this prayer, without what Christ did on the cross, that none of us would have necessarily a reason to be here. That through Christ, He's been redeemed. So forgive us our sins. We get excited about it. Like that, that's, the, that's the prayer on our, on our t-shirts. You know, Forgive us our sins because we're wretched to pray of sinners. God, thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We get to the next part, it gets a little bit more dicey. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. You can live a lot of life with a lot of unforgiveness and a lot of discontentment. You can live a lot of life with broken relationships because you haven't gone and worked it out and talked it through. There's some of you in here right now, when you get to this part of the prayer, you're like, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm done. I, no, I can't. Forgive us our, no. I'm wondering tonight if there are any of you in here that when you come to this part of the prayer that you've realized relationships that are completely and utterly broken and it's largely because of your lack of communication and your lack of pursuit of that individual. And lead us not into temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 says that, that every temptation known to man is, is common to us and that he will always provide a way out. And that's the summation of this prayer. And lead us not into temptation. God, protect us. God, send us out. And so you see this prayer, and guess what? Like, it's easy, right? Okay, sweet. He gave us the answer. Okay, God, teach us how to pray. Not the concept of prayer, but teach us what it means to have this great communion with you. God, teach us that. And so we're all here today, and we, there it is. So we should like be slapping each other high five. We're like, yes, this is the answer. Here we go. Like, it's so wide open to us. But this text has been here for 2,000 years. So what has been the disconnect between these words and our prayer life? What is the disconnect between the Lord's prayer, His answer to communion with the Father, and where each of us are at in our prayer life? I believe that everything that we do is rooted in a belief system. I drink Mountain Dew or Heavenly Nectar because I believe that it's good. Today I had it at lunch because I believe it's tasty and that it goes nice with Arby's Blasty Blast, five for five, all right? Each of you today have made decisions on how to dress your child. You know, like what costume? We put Avery in a doggy costume. Why? Because probably more than Avery, we're simply obsessed with little doggy things for Avery because we love when she says doggy. It's so cute, you know? All of you have made decisions on what to wear and how to look and what to smell like tonight based upon some type of belief system, whether big or whether small. 
You see, so many times, friends, when we get to this point, we're like, oh, so what's our struggle? Every teaching that we hear will be, you're not disciplined enough. You're not, you're lacking discipline. You're not praying because you're not disciplined. You need to start doing prayer wind sprints or something. You need to discipline yourself. There's something that's happening here. It's discipline. It's discipline. It's discipline. And that has been ingrained into your hard skull for so many years that guess what? We're here in this moment. And some of you, before I asked that or said that, you're like, hey, I just, like, I need to get a prayer calendar. And I just start marking it off. And I'm not saying that any of these things are bad. But if they are the focus and the intent, then they are destined to fail. Why? Because our issue is really the fact that we do not believe these things. Hallowed be your name. Nope. I mean, no, 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 excuse me. I'm not talking about the, the, the Christian facade. Because I know we all believe that on the outside. Hallowed be your name, right? Yeah. But what about deep down? Do you really think that his name is greater than yours? Are you really about the pursuits of his name and his glory greater than yourself? You see, we can't even get past the first line. Hallowed be your name. That implies that I'm humble before a king who is sovereign over my life. The very first line implies that we are on our face in, com- in complete humility. So some of you can't even get past the first line and see your disbelief. Hallowed be your name? I, no, 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 no. Like ultimately, if I were to, sh- to take away all the aspects of, of my or your, your heart... It's like, are you really about his pursuits? Are you really desirous of all that he wants for you? Or do you really enjoy the praise when it comes? It's like, man, you, you really slayed that in that relationship. Yeah, I know. Oh, all for the glory of God. Amen. You know, hallelujah. Give me a high Jesus five, you know. And when you walk away at night, you think to yourself, man, I'm pretty dang cool. The reality is we're not, we don't believe hallowed be your name. Or some of you maybe are struggling with hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like that prayer right there is just scary. Your kingdom come. What if the kingdom came more in the next 30 seconds than it did 30 seconds ago? Like some of you in your hearts, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we're going to have tambourines and streamers. Like I don't know what's going to happen in here. Like your kingdom come. Like that's just scary. I can't. Your king. No, 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 no. So you know what? In the answer to, to Christ, um, what it means to really pray your kingdom come. It's like, no, no, no. That prayer. No, no, no. Give us each day our daily bread. Are you kidding me? I'll never pray that because I enjoy providing for myself. And the reality is, I only go to God and pray when I have some great need. Otherwise than that, I'm good to go. I mean, I can provide. I can put food on the table. I'm a hardworking dude. I'm a hardworking woman. I don't need Him except when there's some great travesty or tragedy. Then I'm quick to get on my knees. Not, not like my dad has cancer, and so now it's time to like pray all the time. And you get your friends, and we start fasting and praying. Give us today, what's the word? Our daily bread. Be our daily provider, our daily provision. Is that really what you desire? Or do you deep down want yourself to be the one who provides for yourself, so that at night you can lay down and think to yourself, I have provided for my family. We have a great car and there was food on the table. What if all of a sudden that got flipped on your head and you had to daily depend on the manna literally that was coming down from heaven and you had nothing beyond what he could give you? Imagine what that would do to your prayer life, my friends. And there's the prayer that we really love. Again, forgive us our sins. We get to this one we're like, golden. I got this one nailed. I can even say it in the Greek, which I can't right now. I wish I could. Right? That would have been a great, I should have thought of that earlier. Forgive us our sins. That's our great Christian prayer. We say that all the time. Why? Because that's the one 
that gets us into heaven, so we think. That's the one. If we can just be forgiven in the eyes of God, that's the one. So no matter what else is happening through the rest of the prayer, as long as we're forgiven, we're good to go. So forgive us our sins, God. In fact, I'm going to wear the t-shirt and wear the forgiveness watch. God, forgive us our sins. That one, like we, we just got that nail. But do you really have a nail? Because true repentance turns away from sin. True repentance does not turn from the world and turn back to the world two days later. True repentance turns from the world and goes after the heart of God, period. True repentance isn't on the hamster wheel, my friends. So for some of you tonight, you're back on the hamster wheel of lust. Just going. No repentance. Forgive forgive me my sins today, Lord. Tomorrow. Forgive me for my sins today, Lord. Third day. Forgive me for my sins. Is that forgiveness? Is that repentance? No. That's the hamster wheel and you're saying frivolous words to make yourself feel better because you think ultimately that will get you into heaven. The hamster wheel is dangerous, isn't it, my friends? Some of you guys tonight are on it. You're on the hamster wheel of gossip. You're on the hamster wheel of jealousy, of judgment. Forgive us our sins implies this complete, radical, repentant change towards Christ. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right? It's like when we're praying the Lord's Prayer. We're like, forgive us our sins. And lead us not into temptation. You know what I mean? We're like, start speaking an entire different language. We're like, let's just skip over that part. I know it's in there, Lord. How many, how many times do we do that in Scripture? I know that's in there, but it's just not really pertinent to my current situation. Good luck with that. You know what I mean? God, you're just not pertinent with my current scenario. So we're just going to go ahead and skip right over that part. And then lastly, lead us not into temptation. No way. Are you kidding me? I want to be right in the middle of temptation. Why? Because then I get to indulge in all of my desires, in all of my lusts, in all the things that I crave. Are you kidding me? Lead me not into temptation. We're really praying. Oh, yeah, yeah. When we're with our Christians, yes, God, keep us from sin. In our, in our, in our deep in our den, we're like, God, like, where can I find me some sin? Because it tastes so good. It feels so great. We're almost praying, lead me into temptation so that I can experience the... Friends, our chasm with our prayer life is not because we lack discipline. It's because the answer that Jesus gives to intimacy with the Father are things that ultimately maybe some of you don't believe at all. If we ripped it all away, if all was laid bare, can you go through these and say, hallowed be your name? Yes. I can't wait to fall on my face. No matter how many Christians look at you and say, what are you doing? Like, what happened to that? What happened to an overcoming of fear that would cause you just to fall, prostrate, because you couldn't take standing on your feet before a holy God anymore? What happened to that? And then you got to your kingdom come. You couldn't wait to pray for more of God to experience in your life. You couldn't wait to pray that the Holy Spirit would drop on this place. You couldn't wait to pray that. And give us today our daily bread. That is your like, God, I want you to be the sole provider. And listen to this. It's scary. God, I want you to strip away the areas that I'm thinking that I'm providing for myself. So that you can remind me that you're my soul, you're my soul provider. Friends, are you like, are you guys ready to pray that? He's giving us the answer, and and still, some of you in your mind, you're like writing in your journal. You're like, okay, 
Number one, because these are the sermons you're used to. Number one, right? Make a prayer closet. You know, line it with cool colored wallpaper so you feel comfortable. Number two, you know what I mean? And we go through this discipline. Here's what happens. A deep-rooted faith and belief in these things will cause you to crave them and cause you to be disciplined, my friends. Brandon and I are going through uh, Scripture right now. We're going from Galatians to Titus every day, chapter a day. And I think early on, like, there were pieces of discipline that were a part of it, and now it's just an absolute craving for the Word. That's what happens when your belief system dives so deep into who you are. When did faith and works ever separate themselves? Because discipline solely is based on works. You can be disciplined so that you can work better. Friends, it always lies in faith and they always work together. That's why James 2 says, faith without works is dead. And and then you get to forgive us our sins. And you not just say it, but you believe it and you realize it's your only chance and only, only hope is the forgiveness that Christ provides. As we also forgive those who sin against us. God, show me the people that I just need to forgive because I'm holding on to to grudges. And I'm not talking to them about it because I'm scared and I have a personality that seems shy. God, give me the courage to tell them what they did wrong to me or or to ask for forgiveness or to apologize. And lead us not into temptation. Come on. God, walk with me every day so that I can see sin and temptation coming from a mile away, that I see you as my great security and protector, and when I am involved in temptation, I can always see the way out. God, really lead me not into temptation. Friends, is your heart stirring yet? Our answer to a depraved prayer life in the Christian church is not for us to say A plus B equals a better prayer life. It's Are these things true or are they not? And when they're true, you cannot wait to pray them. You cannot wait to communicate them. You cannot wait to fall prostrate before the King and go to Him because Scripture says He's listening. Colossians 4, be devoted in prayer. Romans 12, be faithful in prayer. James 5, pray so that you may be healed all throughout Scripture. Pray, 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 pray. Why? Because it provides intimacy with Yahweh. Why aren't we craving that church? Why are we coming together in our circles and giving each other the high fives without really craving communion with the Father? And thankfully this teaching isn't done. Look back in Luke. I love the black letters here. Then he said, you know what I mean? It's like, You thought I was done with that whole prayer thing? No, no, no. There's more, you know? Then he said to them, suppose one of you, this is is kind of a hilarious analogy here. Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him, right? Let me set the scene for you. Um, Me and Todd are neighbors, okay? And uh, Todd, Todd Holm, I go to bed a little bit earlier probably than Todd. What time do you go to bed, Todd? 10 o'clock. We, you actually go to bed earlier than me. Okay. I thought I was a loser. You know what I'm saying? You know? Bro, I'm just kidding about that. 
That's what Jeremy told me. Jeremy said anyone who goes to bed before like two is a loser. So <laughs> Jeremy's bedtime is like three. Anyway, back to the story. I'm Todd's neighbor. Let's say I go to bed before you do. In ancient Palestine, I would have a house that would probably have one room. That means me and my wife and my family would all be sleeping in the same room, which would never be fun. I think we could all agree with that, especially with you snores in the room. Any snores? Don't admit to that. You'll be embarrassed. Todd comes to me at midnight in my one-room Palestinian home, and he says, um, I just had a friend that showed up at my house, uh, and I, need, I, I don't have any bread to serve them. And hospitality in ancient Palestine was huge. If you didn't have bread to serve like a friend that came to you, then, then I mean, that, that was just expected. It came with the territory. So Todd comes over, has the audacity to knock on my door at midnight and say, I had a friend that just showed up, and I need three loaves of bread. What do you got? That's, that's the story. Look at this. Then the one inside answers, this is me, don't bother me. You know what I mean? It's midnight. My kids are sleeping. And you parents, when your kids are asleep, it's like if anyone wakes them up, I will kill you. You know what I mean? That is the thing that where I could commit murder, you know. Do not wake my kids up. And if you do, like we're throwing down, you know. So, so I say, hey, Todd, dude, do not bother me, man. Like we're, my kids are sleeping, my wife's, and, and for me to open the door, I would have this huge piece of lumber that would be covering the door. So I'd have to like, which is a horrible sound effect I just did. I was trying to emulate some type of creak or something. And I just did like an elephant noise, you know. I would have to lift this piece of lumber to open this door. And so look at this. Here's Todd. Or here's me still. The door is already locked. My children are, 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 are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. For sake. I tell you though, he will not get, give, uh, get up. And, and give him the bread because he is uh, because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So in other words, what happens is Todd hears what I said, like, dude, get away. And Todd just stands there. He's like, you know, for like 30 minutes until that knock is pounding in my head and I have a headache and I'm about ready. Todd, you know, get away from my. But that's what he does. That's what this analogy is. The friend will not leave. He just keeps coming. He keeps knocking. He persists. And then finally, I'm like, okay, Todd, you know? And I get up and I get my bread, my wonder bread for him, my wonder Jerusalem bread that's leavened, and I give it to him. Verse 9, so I ask you, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For whoever one asks, receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is not the grumpy guy who wouldn't get up, okay? But the analogy here is that if your prayer life is, God, will you make me a millionaire? And then that night he doesn't, and the next day you're like, well, forget that prayer then. Or even something a little bit more serious. God, I would ask that you would really cover my wife and I's financial situation right now because it's difficult. And that night, because he didn't drop a $6,000 in your, in your lap, that you would just give up. What Jesus is saying is, persist after it. Go after it. Be completely, wholeheartedly persistent. Ask seeking and knocking just like the guy. And then, and then, it, gets, then it gets a little uh, then, then it gets a little dicey there. You're like, oh, asking will be given to you, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be answered. So what you're saying then, God, is whatever I ask for, it'll be given to me. Right? 
So what you're saying, Jesus, is if I write some cool prayers on my whiteboard about all the ways that I want you to bless me, that you're just going to hand that over to me again. Friends, we talk over and over and over about the sovereignty of God. He calls us to persist and to go after prayer and for a fervor prayer life. And he, out of knowing our good purposes, will give us what? Our daily bread. Come on. He will give us our daily bread. The provision, what's needed. And sometimes that will align itself with what we want and what we desire. And other times it's not. And he finishes up with verse 11. Which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Wouldn't that be a horrible father? Like, hey, Dad, let's go fishing. And your dad, like, hands over, a, you know, some type of massive snake of some kind, a cobra or something. He's like, yeah, here you go. I know you wanted a fish, but this cobra's real nice, you know. He'll probably bite you and eat your flesh off, but no worries, you know. What kind of father is that? Verse 12. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Scorpion, when they're, ball, when, when they're kind of balled up some, somehow, look like an egg. I don't really understand the analogy here a little bit, but like, no father would do that. It's like, hey, Dad, can I have an Easter egg? And he's like, yeah, here you go. Here's a nice, fun scorpion. His name's Billy. You know, no, I mean, no dad's going to do that. And so l- listen to this. Here's the analogy. Verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. What he's saying is a good father will not give his son a snake or a scorpion. A good father knows how to protect his children. A good father knows how to give them what they need, not what they want necessarily. A good father will provide. A good father will give. If you, even though you are evil as a good father, friends, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for Him? We all know that with a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes. And so the implication here is not that you have to continually be asking for the Spirit of God. But what the focus is, is a holistic picture of prayer. Intimacy with God through Jesus. Fear of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Connected with God through the communion of prayer in a way that which no world, no person, and no Satan can ever break apart. A prayer life that no discipline can ever create a prayer life that cannot be stopped, a prayer life whose cravings will not end at hardship, a prayer life who is constantly and completely on his knees, a prayer life that happens both independently and communally. Did you notice that the entire Lord's Prayer is us? Lead us not into temptation. Give us our daily bread. This is for us, the church, my friends. And so if Jesus... Answers a question. Teach us how to pray. And He gives us the blueprint. Then my friends, what are you waiting for? When are we going to see a church movement that is so connected to God in prayer and not discipline, but discipline through prayer, friends? When are we going to be able to look at these things and say, that's true, that's true, that's true, that's true, that's true, and that's true, and I believe it wholeheartedly. I need forgiveness when I fail, but deep down, that's really what I believe. God, increase our faith, the disciples said. Friends, some of you are desperately struggling. That same trip in Brazil. I was uh, preaching at a, a massive church, probably 2,500 people there that night, through an interpreter. And this 
this famous soccer player in Brazil came up afterwards. He had like his whole posse around, like 20 of them. I don't even know who he was. He's some famous guy and just because all the paparazzi was around. And through an interpreter, he came up to me and he said, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want what you were just talking about. Like, I want that. And what happened was the words were spoken and our entire team surrounded this, surrounded this entourage, I mean, surrounded this entire group of people. And all I heard in my dome was like 30 people praying for this one guy. And not, they would not stop. This guy was trying to, like he was trying to talk, but all, anything that anyone could think to do was, you know what, I'm tired of my prayer life being inhibited by a culture. I'm tired of thinking that I can't pray out loud because I need to say the right words. This isn't a model for words, friends, even though we can say it corporately as words and it still be powerful. It's a model of the, it's a model of the design of prayer. And this guy, amidst this massive amount of prayer, gave his life to Christ. And what we continue to hear through that next year is one by one, his posse began to come to the Lord, all just broken and served in prayer. Friends, when will us as a church, when will we get that? When will we show up half an hour early for community love events and we just see people prayer walking? Not, not, not so we see them prayer walking. Not, not so they're wearing the prayer walking t-shirt. I'm prayer walking everyone. Don't bother me. Excuse me. Prayer walking now. When will we show up to church early? Elizabeth Kimmel did this a couple weeks ago and I loved it. And you just begin to pray over the seats in here. When will we begin to gather besides La Family just because we need to pray together? When will that happen? And until it does, I'm telling you what, we will not see the fullness of what we could see in Christ in this church, period. I'm telling you. And it all goes back to, do you believe that or not? Is that really the cry of your heart? And if it is, then we'd be ignorant and amiss to not pray it. So friends, here's what we're going to do. Jeremy and the guys are going to come up. And we're going to get out of our comfort zone a little bit. We're just going to work through this prayer piece by piece. And I'm going to say a piece of this prayer. And as you're feeling led, maybe some of you are going to feel led to speak out a very specific prayer. Maybe some of you are going to feel led to pray out loud. Maybe some of you are going to feel led to come up here or to go over there and just lay prayer. I'm not sure what's going to happen right now. But all I know is Jesus says, this is how you pray when you want communion with the Father. And so me, I'm thinking to myself, like, why don't we do that then? You, you with me? And so we're going to be singing choruses and we're going to pray and we are going to start as a community learning how to pray. You see what I'm saying? I feel like right now we're the disciples. I feel like, Lord, okay, like many of us have this ritual prayer life that we're doing. But, but Jesus, we really want you to teach us more. Like show us really how it goes. Show us really how you can have connection and intimacy. And so friends, just let go, would you? Just forget about who's by you for a second. Just forget about 
all the ways that you thought prayer was and thought prayer could be. And for a few brief moments tonight, can we be the church? So let's spend some time focusing our prayers on hallowed be your name.